Hi everyone, Trinity here again. Tonight, I want to talk to you about what happened yesterday. I got drunk and I cut my hair last night. So, what happened? <laughs> Something always happens, doesn't it? <laughs> yesterday, I got in a fight with a cop. I work for a law office and they were having closing arguments and so I was going to go down and watch the closing arguments. It was down in Provo, Utah where I used to live for eight years. That's where Brigham Young University is located. I served six months at a Dublin federal prison but that wasn't my first rodeo. I was in prison down in Utah County for eight years <laughs> attending BYU getting my degree in music. Bob was getting his law degree for eight years. And it felt like a prison sentence. <laughs> it's a very deeply repressed place. And my family lives down there and I'm estranged from my family. So I have a lot of um, fraught emotions about Provo, Utah. A lot of people in this state do. It's called Utah County and it's the fourth district. So. There was a trial down there and I was going down for the closing arguments and I didn't really realize that I would be doing that that day so I wasn't prepared to go through the metal detector and I had on all my jewelry, <laughs> my rings and bracelets and I also had on a pair of metal boots with a lot of metal on them. And these boots are very tight at the ankle and I have to use a shoehorn to put them on and they're really hard to get back on, especially at a courthouse or in an airport. I didn't realize I was going to court so I wore these boots. I couldn't get through the metal detector and so he said, you got to take off those boots. And I'd already been stripping down everything else, all my jewelry and all my my sweaters and my purse, and they were going through my purse, through everything in my purse. And I said to the cop, I, I asked him, I said, do I have to take off my boots? I can't get them back on. And he said, you can't come in here if you don't take off your boots. And something inside me just went, Phew. I just, I guess I have a problem with authority. I lost my temper and I said, you're such an asshole. And the other cop was like, whoa, I was furious. And my husband was there and he was like, oh gosh. And he just kind of stood there like a sentinel. Just, he didn't say anything to me. He didn't say anything to him. He just stood there and I said, just go on. Just go on. It's going to take me forever to get dressed again. Just go on. I'll meet you in there. He goes, nope, I'm staying here. I must have told him two or three times, go ahead, I'll be there. And he didn't leave. He did not leave. And the cops were like, no, we don't have to let you in here. And by then, everything had come out on the other side. My purse was everywhere. I took off my boots and I threw them in the bucket. I just threw them in the bucket. And I called him an asshole again. And I went back through the metal detector. I made it through. And I gathered up all my stuff. They had just dumped everything out of my purse everywhere. And I said, thanks for keeping us safe, officer. And I left.
Trinity. You know, I was so angry and I was out in the lobby and it took me 10 minutes to put all my jewelry and put my shoes back on. And by then, you know, the groove in your brain is going round and round and round and round. I tried to calm myself down. I tried to self-soothe. And I've done lots of meditation and I've done lots of therapy, but you never know it. <laughs> so I sat in that courtroom and it was so boring. It was, there wasn't anything to take my mind off of it. And I, I just thought about what a jerk he was. And, you know, I don't understand why cops have to make everything so hard. I mean, they forget their purpose is not to harass people, but they're there to keep people safe. And I'm pretty sure I didn't have a bomb in these shoes. Pretty sure. But, you know, here's the thing. He was just doing his job. And he was doing nothing less and nothing more. And he wasn't picking on me. But I was just out of control angry. So we went to lunch. And while we were at lunch, I ate a hamburger, some french fries, a Coke. And I went over to the next door to the Target to find a magazine. And instead, I bought some gummy bears, some Pop-Tarts and some licorice <laughs> and I came back and then I realized oh crap I gotta go back through the metal detector <laughs> I have to see those guys again I guess I didn't ever really learn my lessons when my kids were in little league baseball the way that works in small towns is that what comes around goes around and karma will come back and bite you if you're mean to somebody's kid because they're a crappy player that kid will get drafted onto your team the next year or if you hate one of those coaches who cheated and and got ahead then you end up coaching their kid the next year they end up having to take your kid on their team and they won't play your kids. So in Little League Baseball, you learn to calm down and, and know that everything you do will come back and bite you in the butt if you don't watch your actions. So I had to go back to the metal detector <laughs> with the same guy. <laughs> oh, man. Fortunately for me, I took off all my shoes before I got in, and I walked in holding my shoes in my hand, and I put them nicely in the bucket, and I was really chirpy and cheerful to all the other officers, and there was a lot of people trying to get through the line, and he spotted my ass. Oh, yes, he did, and he took my purse. He goes, God, this thing's heavy, and he was getting ready to just tear it apart again, just tear it apart again because I had pissed him off, but... Fortunately for me, A, I ignored him, and B, there was a lot of people there, and I was with all my lawyer people. <laughs> so I was kind of insulated and protected, and I got through without any incidents. But I was still upset about it. I was just so angry at him. In a courtroom, you never take a cell phone or food. You never. And I sat there the whole afternoon, you know, just tearing off my licorice and eating my licorice and eating my Pop-Tarts and putting little gummy bears in my mouth and stuffing my face the whole afternoon. <laughs> then, after court was over, we went to dinner and I pounded a beer, one beer, I pounded it. Then I ordered a second beer and I thought, well, I'm in front of all these people, I don't want them to think I'm an alcoholic, so I sipped that beer. 
Then I ordered the third beer because everybody else was getting a second beer. And I didn't think anybody really noticed. And I pounded that beer too. And then, oh no, oh no, we're not done yet. We're not done with my absolutely stellar day. <laughs> then I ordered a glass of wine after that. And then I came home and cut my hair. <laughs> I must have cut two or three inches off my hair. When I woke up this morning, I was like, well, what happened? I mean, I remember cutting it. I just couldn't believe I cut that much off. I seriously, I had, I used to have a little bob. It was almost down to my chin line. And now I look like a video character, you know, a video girl with uh, punk spike blonde, bleach blonde hair sticking straight up, you know, it's all spiky. I look like a little video warrior. <laughs> and I, I looked at it this morning and I was like, holy cow, I, I cut all my hair off. And I looked in the back and there weren't any holes. I mean, it was all spiked. So, I mean, I guess I gave myself a pretty darn good haircut. There, you know, it wasn't like my little granddaughter. She cut her hair three weeks ago into a rockabilly bangs. <laughs> they weren't exactly straight. She's four. I must be a good little haircutter because even when I'm drunk. <laughs> and I looked back at the day yesterday and I thought, good grief, Trinity. I mean, my anger was inappropriate. <laughs> like, that's an understatement. You know, I called that guy an asshole twice. I threw the boots in practically at him. I was angry that he was making me go do all that. And I, and I was disrespectful and snotty as crap. I'm really lucky I didn't get kicked out of the courthouse or arrested. I probably wouldn't have been arrested unless he pushed me. If he had pushed me any more, I probably would have really lost my shit even more. And I could have been arrested. It was actually kind of a tense and dangerous time for me. So I asked myself, what was going on, Trinity? And I've had these incidents about every mm, two months where I've noticed that I just completely come unglued over something I don't really need to. I mean, it's, it, again, inappropriate anger. I've also, when I was at, at the camp in Dublin for six months, I lost 45 pounds. And the second I came home, I put it right back on. And every day I tell myself, okay, today is the day I'm gonna get this under control, this eating under control. And every time I say that, I end up gaining more weight. So I began to wonder, I seem like I have some symptoms of post-traumatic syndrome. Or maybe there's like this underlying depression that I'm not acknowledging. I try to stay really chirpy and happy and think positive and I'm determined that I'm gonna make something out of myself. I have lots of ambition and positive thoughts. And yet there's a couple things that I just can't seem to really get under control. I remember sitting in Davis County Jail the day that they came into the house with all the 
30 guys bombed into the house with their helmets and their, their vests and their semi-automatics, and they just tore through the house and tore through everything. And I remember that Bob was in a wheelchair at that time. He'd heard his feet, and they carted him away. I didn't know where they were taking him or where he was going. And 12 people surrounded my couch and sat me in the middle of my couch, and 12 of them surrounded me for the Inquisition. And this, the older man, I guess he was the head of DEA in Salt Lake. He was an older gentleman, very polite and formal. And he said to me, Mrs. Benson, if you will cooperate with us and tell us what we want to know, it will go a lot easier on you. And they were all sitting there like it was an inquisition. It wasn't like an inquisition. It was an inquisition. And I looked at them all and it, it's really hard not to contain your terror and your panic, and they do that on purpose. I don't know where I got the courage or the guts, but I, I conjured it up inside of myself, and I just said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to talk to you until I have a lawyer. And the guy, all of a sudden, his politeness went away, and he said, Booker. And from then on, the party was over. <laughs> There aren't really any words to describe how inhumane county is, at least in Davis County. I'm sure Metro's just as bad, and people talk about county jails everywhere. They're very vicious places. Uh, it's very traumatic to go through the strip searches. The deputies are very hateful. They're not just cold and professional. They're downright hateful, many of them. The facilities are inhumane. The food isn't edible. There's no place to exercise. It's dirty. It's really a horrible, inhumane gulag. And it's very traumatizing. And that's just the beginning. I only stayed one night in county. Just one night. Most people can't raise money for bail. And they have to stay there until their trials or until they do a plea deal. Most people have to stay in county or metro until they're sentencing. And then they're either sent to a state prison or to federal prison. And again, the process again is, is just horrific. And I remember making a vow to myself in county. I, I just sat there that night on the cement block thinking, my life is over, it's gone. It's all just blown apart. I didn't know where my sons were. I didn't know where my family was. I felt kidnapped. I made a vow to myself that night. I said, wherever I was at yesterday, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be better than that. I'm going to have more. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to get more status. I just made this vow to myself that I would recover that was in 2015 in October, and since then, it's been three years. It's been hell. I feel like an ant who climbs straight up the wall of El Capitan in Yosemite, that that's how big the mountain has been. When you have a felony and they take everything and they destroy your life, destroy your life, then they label you for life, it's very difficult to find a job. It's easy to find jobs to clean toilets and scrub walls and do hard manual labor. Those jobs are easy to find. But if you, a lot of people who get felonies don't have the mentality or strength for that. 
and it's hard to can't get any kind of professional job. Nothing with status. It's very hard to find a place to live. Everybody does background checks. Most homeless people are, many of them are out there because they have felonies and they're not able to get back on their feet. You know, there's these little phrases that you did your time, you, you served your time. No, they keep making you serve your time. No matter if you get six months or you get 60 years, you're still going to do a lifetime sentence, whether it's 10 or 15. You do a lifetime sentence once you have a felony. And conditions are really rough. And many of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. More so of what I'm talking about. You, All of you have done a lot more time than I have. I did nothing compared to everybody else. And yet, even with the little bit of time that I've done, I have a lot of unspoken issues that I didn't really know I had. And I thought, I can overcome this. I can overcome this. And I look at what a complete train wreck I was yesterday. Just a complete train wreck. And I kind of am a train wreck still with my weight. I just can't seem to get that under control. I'm doing better than I was two years ago. I'm doing better than I was three years ago or a year ago. But there's still this, I feel broken sometimes. You know, I, I have always wanted my children to be proud of me. And I want, my, I want to have a legacy for my grandchild. That's why we were running a weed business in the first place. Um, Bob already had a felony and, it, and he lost his law license. And so this was a great opportunity for us to get back on our feet, to buy a car, to get insurance, to help our kids go through college, to help our kids start businesses to help pay for our grandbaby to be born. This was a lucrative thing to help us get back on our feet because we already, Bob already had a felony before that. And I wanted my children to be proud of us. And so that was a way for us to get back on our feet. And I still want my children to be proud of me and my grandbabies to be proud of me. But I have this terrible label and this terrible lifetime sentence of having a felony and trying, struggling to get back to feeling like a worthy person, to feel good about myself, to be able to find a place in this world for myself and my family, to be a useful human being. Um, And yet, I don't really know how to do that. I actually looked up post-traumatic syndrome. You know, what is the cause of it? What is the remedy for post-traumatic syndrome, PTS? And it's basically antidepressants, meds. It's a lot of therapy, which I've done years and years of that. I've done antidepressants and I don't like them. I don't feel like they do anything for me really because it's a situational problem. 
to be. I don't really have any solutions. I'm just talking about this. And I fell to pieces yesterday and I'm worried I'm gonna fall to pieces again. And I'm, I might end up doing worse or <laughs> being, being worse. I guess I need to be hyper aware that, of triggers. I, I didn't even see that one coming. And I work in a law office. I go and deliver papers over to the state courthouse all the time. And I do a lot of stuff. And I live in downtown Salt Lake, so there's cops everywhere. I'm around authorities all the time. I just, I don't know what to do. I just wanted to talk about it tonight for a minute. I wanted to talk about issues that many convicts, ex-convicts have. And I don't really know if there's a, a lot of solution to it. I see a lot of cultures who, when their children get shot by the cops and they get treated unfairly, they are very angry, angry people. And the anger doesn't really do any good. It tears me up. It hurts me. I'm hurting myself. And yet I do feel, I don't feel like I can forgive the system. To me, the, the prosecutors and the judges and the law enforcement, they cut people's arms off for stealing a loaf of bread. The prosecutorial system in the United States is so vicious. I don't feel like I can forgive them for what they've done to my family and me. If I forgive them, then they get to keep doing it. That's the way I feel about it. And I use my anger, mostly I use my anger as fuel for activism. But sometimes my anger and my hatred gets the worst of me. And I hurt myself, I end up just hurting myself. The whole thing, you know, just seems so useless, the hatred and vitriol that our government and those people, authorities have towards over a third of us in this nation. Or, or one in three people have sat in county, at least one night. And it's a pretty horrendous experience. And then when you go through the rest of the system, it's even worse. So, I guess the only advice I can give you tonight is before you go out drinking, hide your scissors. <laughs> Be sure you hide your scissors. <laughs> and if you can't, if you don't want to cry about it, you can laugh about it. If you don't want to laugh about it, you can cry about it. Because sometimes you just gotta cry. <laughs> so, that's all the time we have for tonight. Until next episode, I'll see you later. Bye-bye.